Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Creative Insider podcast number 59 with me, Georgi Leshtarsky. In this podcast episode, I had the pleasure and honor to talk with a German architect and currently design lead at Björk Ingels Group, Big, Victoria Millentrup. Victoria has started at the company as an intern after her bachelor in Münster, Germany, where she comes from, and in Copenhagen, after several failures attempt or failed attempts, she completed the master program of CITA, which is the Center for Information Technology and Architecture at the Royal Academy. After a few other experiences after graduation, uh, she joined back big in the role of design lead for the project The Plus. What can I say? What a background! But before we start the conversation, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and I want to remind you that if you want to support us, you can do that for free by subscribing to the platform you're listening to and by leaving a good review if that's a possibility. If you would like to stay in touch with us, which is very important also because in these crazy times we can always lose our social media, um, join our newsletter, which you can join on the website thecreativeinsider.com where you can also listen to this podcast. And by doing so, you're getting a free guide about how to organize your digital filing system. Another great way to support us is by spreading the word with your friends, colleagues, family or other people who might enjoy this podcast and you can follow our mo- social media channels which are instagram at tci podcast and the linkedin page the creative insider uh, it's important for us to keep improving the quality of this podcast and become more and more professional improve our audio quality and we want to move into video and also to be possible to keep doing this podcast um, and be free in what we say and who we invite. Um, if you have the possibility, you can give us a little boost also um, by subscribing our Patreon, where you'll be able to support us with five bucks a month or the wished amount of money from you. And as soon as possible, we'll be announcing some perks for all the pa- patrons on our Patreon platform. You'll find the link below. But Enough introduction. Thank you very much for your time. Enjoy the conversation with Victoria Millentrup. The whole world stops just like that. Hello, Victoria. How are you? I'm great. <laughs> uh, welcome. Finally, we're managing to do to do the podcast. Um, I, I thought for some before it was in a holiday for a couple of weeks. Uh, and then um, we were supposed to do the chat before. Then it needed to be postponed for some uh, bureaucratical technical issues. And I was worried that I'm not gonna be able to to be to be chatting to you, but uh, luckily we managed. So thank you for participating on the podcast. 
You're welcome. Finally. <laughs> um, so it's it's nice to 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 have you on. Uh, you can introduce yourself a little bit to the audience for the people who don't know you. Yes, I'm Victoria. I'm 31. I'm currently uh, working for Bjarke Ingels in Copenhagen. And I am a design lead architect. And I have different projects at the moment, but uh, one that was um, released uh, or like public, uh, went public last year was uh, the Plus, which is like a factory in Norway that is getting built and it's halfway through it and i'm very lucky that i could be part from uh, first design sketch until uh, the handover of the keys basically in december so i'm very excited uh, that i could go through uh, the whole process and uh, yeah i'm i graduated basically only two years ago so it's exactly almost two years ago now in june uh, 2019 and um, this is where I am now. Nice. Um, so basically, I, we graduated uh, the same year. Uh, just I didn't uh, speed <laughs> up my career so quickly as you do. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and um, I've been I've I've been looking forward to to talking to you. And I discovered you through LinkedIn. I think by accident somehow uh, through some of the projects of Bjork Ingels Group. I don't remember how. Um, and I've been criticized that I had I, I haven't had enough um, ladies on the podcast as a guest. And I always say I, I, I don't like they don't come. And if I do invite ladies, they should be like kicking ass like you are. Uh, so <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so it's important also like to to find the right people that accept and that are the, the have the, the right, um, so to say, background. Um, but we always start all the conversation from the very beginning of each guest. Um, so I'm curious uh, for which reason in your life or when in your life you thought, um, I want to be an architect or I want to be a designer. I want to uh, follow, pursue a career in this field. Uh, I think it's not as uh, spectacular probably as some people would tell the story of them being a kid and playing with Lego and finding out, oh my God, I want to be an architect. For me, it was like I always wanted to do music or I wanted to become a singer. And uh, my parents weren't very fond of it. They thought like, ah, with when you're, I don't know, eight years old or 12 years old and they still found it funny that I had that dream. And when I was like 16, 17, they uh, got a little bit scared and they thought like, <laughs> no, better not. Um, and then it was a little bit of a compromise. So I still wanted to do something creative. I was also drawing a lot or painting a lot, uh, doing music. So it would be something artistic that I would follow. And the only thing they could agree on was architecture because it was still something that's hands on, you know, I wouldn't be poor on the street, at least what they thought. <laughs> what they thought back then, uh, I think it's actually a little bit different in the business. Um, but yeah, so it was more like an agreement um, of me and my parents um, that didn't want to see me doing anything else creatively. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that's a common mistake to to confuse like um, an architecture is some lucrative job where <laughs> if you're creative you can uh, become uh, rich, uh, yeah. but uh, it's it sounds more um, yeah it sounds more like regular uh, way of living than all the other purely artistic fields, and um, so you were around your teenage teenage years when you when you realized you wanted to 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 move to to switch to that to this field or i understood wrongly um i think it was more like when i finished high school i was not really sure what to what to study then and then i went a little bit like backpacking and traveling like a lot of students or like a lot of uh, high school students uh, do And then I thought like, oh my God, if I go traveling, then I will have this epiphany that it will come to me what I want to do in my life. But of course it didn't. <laughs> uh, and then I came back and and I thought like, okay, architecture could be really cool. And then I went into um, something like an internship that was unpaid. So I wanted to go into an office uh, to see if I really want to do it. Uh, and they also helped me there to do my first kind of portfolio to get into one of the German uh, architecture schools. And then I got in. Um, yeah, and then everything started. So it was a little bit like, yeah, I will try this. And I liked it and I did it. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know if you said that, but that you're from Germany, which was also a surprise for me when we started the pre-chit-chat <laughs> conversation because uh, your name is uh, very could be danish in my opinion actually i picked you up because i thought ah, she has a cool danish name she must be very danish <laughs> and then <laughs> i get a german guest but uh, also i discovered i live myself in germany and discover here it's uh, very common for school students to come i've had in my like in the offices i have worked uh, we have had several uh, school students that come for a couple of weeks And they uh, check like what's the water, how it is to to look uh, to to work in in an architectural office, and that's a, I think it's a very nice like system to have. So because I've never never seen an architectural office um, before, I actually started working in one. And um, so in in and you th these people helped you to to get into the university. Where did you where did you study? Where did you apply? Uh, I applied actually only uh, in Münster, <laughs> so I was very lucky to actually get in. Somehow I'm always a little bit like last minute and it somehow works out. I cannot say that everybody should do that, but somehow it worked for me. Um, and yeah, I got in and I went through this whole process of like showing your you know, portfolio and talking a little bit about what you know about architecture and which architects um and in the office there was one architect that was previously studying there as well so she helped me a little bit with the whole process of how to get in what to talk about what i should know um yeah and then i started in münster and i studied there for three and a half years in my bachelor yes how how was that experience for you was it um the way you imagined it uh, or was it different or did you have anything that you loved anything that you hated maybe um the thing i can say is that i was pretty afraid in the beginning to fail uh maybe also because of the reason that i wasn't one of the students that said 
from the beginning or since they were four years old, oh my God, I'm going to do architecture. This is the only thing I want to do in my life. So I thought maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm failing. Um, so I only felt comfortable after one year when I saw that I could actually do it, or uh, at least some people were telling me that I have some talent. Um, and then I enjoyed it a lot because it was a school that was pretty much hands-on. We had a lot of workshops. Um, you could uh, choose your courses. Uh, we had um, architects or like professors that were actually architects and, and also working at the same time. So you had some kind of con uh, connection always to practice um, and also seeing building sites and having maybe tasks um, yeah, that were pretty realistic. Um, but also, I mean, in the end, it was um, basically studying like you would maybe more help out as an architect in an architecture office uh, or somebody who would be drawing in the end instead of being your own architect or your own boss. It was a little bit more into the direction, yeah, learn how to draw a great floor plan or a section or um, learn the basics, which was nice. But I think in the end, they didn't so much uh, um, help you in finding out what you want as, as an architect on your own. I see. And um, you, you picked that university because that's also the same city you're, you're from or it's... Uh, no, I'm actually coming from a very, very tiny town in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's like one and a half hours away from Münster uh, in yeah, a region called Gütersloh. And then there's a, a little village that's called Langenberg. And then there's an even tinier village that's called Bentela and I'm living actually not in that village, but like on a farm, uh, S sounds a like a away from there. Sounds like a fairy tale. <laughs> like there was a little village and next to the village, there was a little village and next and then to the there was me and then there was a house <laughs> and yes. And then you completed your, your bachelor there and did you move somewhere else for your masters or, uh, because you, you said that you just stayed there three and a half years. Yes. I, First, I actually uh, worked a little bit after my bachelor studies because I also had a little bit of a gap where I could apply for, um, for schools. And I applied for KDK in Copenhagen, but I didn't get in. Uh, but I was pretty sure that I wanted to go to that school. So I moved to Copenhagen uh, and, and started an internship at BIG. Um, and then I applied the year after, after I was one year intern at BIG and, and still didn't get in <laughs> to the school, but I was very persistent. And then the next year uh, I applied to many schools at the same time. And uh, then all of a sudden I got in everywhere, which was lucky, but I stayed in Copenhagen and um, yeah, I started uh, studying at the Royal Danish Academy in a studio that is called CETA, which is... Um, yeah, basically center for IT and architecture. So it was a lot of programming, a lot of grasshopper um, coding and this kind of stuff. So a little bit more nerdy maybe, uh, I, but I liked it a lot. <laughs> I, I love I love how all you guys that work at Big tell the story about how you got to Big. Like 
I was just studying <laughs> and then I decided I'm going to go to Copenhagen and I just went to big and they, they got me and that was uh, everything fine. And like I have applied <laughs> like uh, probably three times at least and never got a job there. And uh, I guess once of the time it's our former guest Lucian that <laughs> didn't get me. <laughs> But uh, that's another story that was quite a, fine, a fun podcast. But how did you, how did you apply and um, when did you discover about BIG and how, why did you want to, to, to join there? Um, I actually applied to a lot of places, but BIG was the first one to respond. I was like basically two days later and I got uh i didn't even have an interview or anything it was kind of like it was only 100 people back then uh, in copenhagen and now it's 300 so it was still a little bit smaller and and i just um applied online i think with this kind of online document and sending your linkedin or and your portfolio and your cv uh, and then all of a sudden i had a job there and none of the other architecture offices even replied me so That was the first thing. Uh, so it wasn't really so much my choice going there, but they actually said yes. So, and I took the offer and I could then move to Copenhagen. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I mean, it just, it happened like, like this because they also take a lot of interns um, at the same time. And it was also the timing around September when we always have a lot of new people coming. That's every year like this, that they stay one year and, and, and leave again. And I just stayed a long time. So, <laughs> um, yeah. It, it would be curious if you want, you can decide it later that uh, we, you, you, if you still have that first portfolio sent. Uh, we yeah, can, yes. <laughs> uh, we, you can send it to me and I'll make like a nice um, Instagram post from it. So that people who oh, are like... Oh, that's embarrassing. It was like total shit. <laughs> but that's not embarrassing. I always like to, you know, for me, it's always nice to see people when they were in their beginnings. Like, uh, yeah. like uh, instead of, uh, it's easy to see now your project, but it's nice to see from 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 where you started. And uh, and I think it's also hilarious that you, you uh, got a job in one of the, like, cutting edge offices in the world in the field of architecture but you you couldn't get uh, into the the school you wanted to so so what did they <laughs> yes. what did they require from you to to get there to get in their school uh, i think first of all like even the international studios they only take 20 people max and 10 of those people are supposed to be danish people So you already have a fa like, like a fairly small chance to get into the studio if only 10 people, international people, are chosen for that very studio. Because you apply for one studio, you don't apply for any. You have to specifically tell why you want to go to CETA, for instance. What's your interest, uh, motivation letter and everything. And then... Basically, a few months later, they just tell you if you're in or if you're out. And they don't, you don't get an explanation for why you didn't get in. But I think the sheer number, I mean, that it's so little, uh, just doesn't give you so much chance to actually get in. I get it. And you wanted exactly this one about grasshopper and computational design. Uh, yes. 
because uh, maybe out of a different reason than anyone else, because at big, like, everybody was faster using Grasshopper and, and, and sooner home than me, because I had to always draw everything manually. And then I thought, like, yeah, fuck that. I'm going to learn that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to gonna be, uh, you know, the same and, and being home at five. And of course, I'm not home at five, but at least I got a lot faster with some of the things. And um, it was also pretty nice because I went into a lot of things uh, that I usually wouldn't do at big. Uh, I went into um, like textiles and, and um, yeah, a little bit of uh, yeah, structural programming with kangaroo. And that was very fun, which I would also like to do again. But um, for now, I'm doing real buildings, <laughs> which is also nice. Yeah, I think every every phase of um, an architectural project have its own benefits and um, and uh, you know like uh, bad sides or downsides, let's call them. Uh, but I'm curious also, what kind of skill sets did you collect in Germany at the university at your jobs? Uh, with which you left then for Copenhagen. Uh, like, I mean, also, of course, like designing buildings, it's ob obvious, but like what kind of softwares did you know how to use before joining BIG? And what did you need to learn quickly, I guess, on the field? Uh, that's really hilarious, actually, because I came there and I didn't know anything that they needed <laughs> so i was actually drawing in vector works which i think only people in germany use i'm not really sure but if you go come to copenhagen you say you worked in vector works they're like who what and um so i didn't know i didn't know autocad i don't, didn't know archicad I, I basically had the wrong cat program from the beginning that i learned and then of course they use a lot of rhino which i still do and I needed to, to get into that um, fast. <laughs> uh, and then the standard stuff like Adobe and, and yeah, those things. Um, but Rhino definitely was, was uh, very fast, intense few first weeks that I had to learn everything. And now I'm basically like a gamer. I don't even know what I'm doing on my laptop anymore. If it's a different keyboard, I'm completely confused uh, because I'm actually not knowing what I'm pressing, but this is kind of the way I'm working now. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was tough in the beginning because I was not as, not so skilled with all the software that they actually wanted wanted me to know. But they were also okay with teaching me. So I had a lot of people around me that knew better and I could ask and and then I learned uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, I think that's very helpful. You know, if you were about to learn these things on your own, it's uh, difficult. But if you have already people that surround you and you have to do that for at least eight hours a day, uh, it, you get good quite quickly. Um, but was it like Rhino or directly Grasshopper? Because Grasshopper, it's I guess it's not so intuitive from <laughs> level zero to any level. No, it was more, it was definitely more Rhino. So a, a little bit more manually, but there were already, I mean, I started in 2015. Uh, so there were already some scripts running, like going around in the office um, 
that were pretty specific that you didn't really touch. You just touched some sliders, but that was basically my experience uh, experience before I went into into CETA. Um, so even, I mean, I started at BIC with not enough knowledge of the software and I got through it and I started at uh, CETA with not knowing uh, a lot of Grasshopper and I got through it. So everybody can do it, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That's what everybody says and um, people like me still cannot use it so well. But <laughs> I could do everything that Grasshopper can with the manual uh, options of Rhino because in the end of the day, uh, it's it's they're connected. Um, I'm also curious because I moved from Italy to Germany. And um, although it's like, for example, for American people, this would be a very close distance because it's just one and a half hour <clears throat> flight. But the um, environment and the culture is completely different. Um, when you moved to Denmark, uh, did you have any culture shock or any like, uh, was it like um, way different than uh, way, what you were used to or it was quite easy to fit in since the beginning? How was your experience? Because for me, it's also interesting. What is the personal experience when you move abroad? Mm, I would say it was it was easy to adapt because I also came into an office that had like a lot of people from a lot of different countries. So maybe there's, when it comes to percentage, 25 to 30% Danes, but then the rest is super international. So everybody that is new is constantly talking in English and uh, sharing uh, the same fate that you knew in a country and that you don't know anything about the city. So you go out together um, and and explore everything. So if you, if you start in an office and you have connection to other people, it's easy. I think if you if you move here and you're waiting to have a job or you, you're just home alone, it's, it's so much harder to connect um, to Danes, for instance, if you don't speak Danish. And then we had a joke also in in, in um, architecture school that every Dane has 10 friends and only if one of them dies, then you can basically, you know, <laughs> fill, fill the gap. <laughs> yeah, because they are very, um, yeah, specific maybe about uh, who they're friends with. And, and they have, a, I mean, they spent basically their primary school until high school all together. So they have their friends already from day the one forever the, yeah the 10 slots are already filled in in the early years yes so it's hard to i mean i have some danish friends now but it was hard work i have to say Who, <laughs> did you kill anyone or no no not yet but <laughs> that's that's scary <laughs> oh at least i cannot say on a podcast you know? <laughs> no it's funny for me because i had to move in germany and then i said the same things about the Germans and then, then there is <laughs> one German person that went northern than Germany and thinks it's the same it's um at, at least for me personally it's a little yes. um funny and entertaining and um so you manage after two years of applications um to get into the so wished school from you um maybe also that you have been applying to three times two times help maybe 
um, how was how was then um, your experience studying in in that school and um, how did you manage to balance it with working at big which is probably also an intense experience to to have yes basically it was it was different than germany studying there so i had to adapt a lot to yeah the way they were teaching it was more like a university while i was before at a university that's in germany called fachhochschule it's it's more technical maybe and more um hands down and all of a sudden, I was in a school that was very artistic. Also in Denmark, they they um, have construction architects and then they have architects. So um, in this school, I was supposed to become an architect, which is more like the um, artist part of uh, this whole practice. That's why they also call it Bündnungskunst, which is kind of like building art. And... Um, do you actually hear me still? Yes, I'm listening. Okay, okay, cool. <laughs> because my my video kind of froze. The, so I don't know if no, only on your side. Okay, cool. Um, so they call it uh, Bündnungskunst. So it was more artistic the whole study, and and they also gave you a lot of freedom. So in in comparison to Germany, uh, maybe you would call it a little bit hippie, because you were so free to do whatever you wanted and. Uh, maybe the teaching uh, was was quite little. I mean, you could basically uh, get a few workshops in the beginning, like six weeks workshop, um, where you get a lot of tools and you learn a lot of uh, new things. And then you can kind of decide what of those tools, which one do you want to use and, and go further into depth. And then they leave you alone for half a year. And then you present in the end your project that you established on your own. So it was basically going from a school where I got the task um, written down and, and uh, predefined to the last detail. And then I went to a school where they all of a sudden asked me, what do you want to do? And I was just like stunned. I was just like, I don't know. What do I want to do? <laughs> so for me, it took a, a few weeks to actually adapt to that and, and adapt to uh yeah, the fact that I could choose or like explore what I want to do myself, which is actually quite nice. And maybe getting a little bit more into the direction uh, of being an architect on your own or having a business on your own instead of in Germany being a helper for another architect, maybe. Uh, yeah, so that was pretty much the difference. But you mean like what you want to do in a sense that um you like needed to decide your own tasks on your own or yes basically i needed to decide what's what's my topic uh i mean you can use grasshopper but nobody tells you what to design with it or what is your what is your task so basically you could say i'm very interested in 3d scanning so you take the tool you 3d scan and then you try to start coming up with like your own design tasks within this field um, but nobody is uh, stopping you from anything and nobody would ever tell you uh, oh, maybe that's not a very good idea that's very complex you just dive in and then if you fail you fail <laughs> but um yeah it's it's very free and maybe it's also uh, it was good for me because it was more defining um, what does 
what am I actually interested in? Which fields? What kind of direction do I want to go uh, instead of just following uh, the task that somebody's giving to me? Yeah, I think that's um, it's important uh, while uh, while studying so that you have uh, still the opportunity to detach from all these um, other topics that come in when you start working in the professional field, uh, which makes it like uh, all very real and all very, you know, like um, constrained, so to say. And um, I was uh, wondering what, uh, in the meanwhile, what kind of task did you have uh, when you joined big in the beginning and then while studying, were you like doing competitions? Because I guess that's a big part of the whole office or were you working on projects that have been, um already ongoing because also when you're a student you cannot be 100% in the office you have to be part-time or i guess it was that the solution so what kind of task did you have to what kind of projects you work on you can also say if some of the projects have been already released and which one were they um the first one was a competition that i joined so there was uh, three months of, yeah, a lot of working time, no weekends, and then pushing with a small team to get a result. Uh, and we won this competition. That was nice. Um, and then later on, like half a year later, we even um, basically moved to Tel Aviv to, to realize the project. So there was a team in Copenhagen staying uh, here to produce and then a design team was going to uh, Tel Aviv to live there and then also be next to the building site. But um, the building, uh, yeah, the project got stopped and then uh, we basically went back to Copenhagen. So I cannot say the name or anything of the project because basically it never happened. Uh, and that happened actually more than you think that just things just don't get realized even if we win competitions or even if we start building. That's it's a sad, uh, yeah, truth of the business as well. Even to an office like Big, that happens a lot. And then I went into um, different other competitions, and um, basically, when I went to school and I asked to be part time, um, I went into uh, a project that was in SD, which is more like the schematic design that comes up after the competition which is more, um, yeah, slower pace. It's, uh, it's nothing where you change designs every week. And I also basically um, discussed it with um, HR that there would be no chance for me to keep up if I'm in a project that is a competition. I need to be on something that I can help with. And that was only SD or DD. And then we found a project and then I was two days a week at BIC uh, and and the rest of the week basically in school uh, to keep up with it and the two days a week also made it possible for me to get something like um, yeah, student support something what they call in Germany BAföG uh, where you get basically money from the government and this money uh, is like about 800 to 900 euro on top of your salary uh, which makes it uh, very possible to all of a sudden live in an expensive city like Copenhagen. Um, so 
uh, that was nice. So in the end, Big actually supported me in, in becoming an architect and making it possible to stay in the city because my parents couldn't uh, afford to to uh, to uh, support me in uh, in my lifestyle here. Even if I was just a student, but uh, to live in Copenhagen is is it's another um, yeah way. Like it's just pricey. So. Uh, I was very happy that they supported me. I could stay in in, uh, in the architecture field with a job on the side because, of course, you can also work in a cafe. Uh, but staying in the architecture realm um, made it also possible for me to keep contact with everyone and, and stay still in the office and help out and, um, yeah, get my experience. Um, yeah, I think... That's kind of it. <laughs> yes, uh, sound, sounds uh, sounds pretty good. Um, I mean, I understand that because the first Danish people I met in my life were here in Frankfurt. There were some students coming then south <laughs> from from there, <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, here is so cheap, and we love it, and it's extremely cheap." And then I, I was coming from Italy, and I was like, "Here is not cheap. Here is expensive." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so i think but i think i don't know in germany it's pretty easy i started like uh what you call werkstudent which uh mm-hmm. like uh, it's very easy to get a job when you're a student and if you try to stay in the student dorm or into um yeah a shared flat with some people it's it's very du- doable to, to survive uh also i like uh i got some money from the erasmus program while here so uh, it was um, it was pretty pretty easy to to make it here, uh, but I've heard that in the Scandinavian countries it gets uh, quite expensive to just stay or like going to the restaurant. It's like I don't know half of the <laughs> salary of a normal person. Uh, yeah, that's very else. expensive. <laughs> and. Um, um how long was this um master degree that you were uh following the course you were following there uh two years exactly so and you don't have so much possibility to extend so if basically after two years you are you're graduating um do you have and a lot of possibility to fail during <laughs> the exams? Is it uh, like because you said it's very experimental? So, um, yeah, I don't know how it. Like, I mean, I guess that if your idea is not good and then the outcome it's not good, maybe you get a bad grade. But do you get uh, like do you fail? Like, I think failing is. I don't think so many people fail at KDK. They get bad grades, yes, but I think um, the KDK itself maybe doesn't want to keep students over the two years because this is when they get support from the government for that time and everything that is exceeding this, uh, um, yeah, costs them money. So they don't really want to keep you. And if you're bad, they they don't want to keep you at all. (laughs) So I think... uh, yeah, it's. It, I think it's kind of hard to fail actually because it's. Uh, you can do whatever you want, and you also write your own program in the end what you wanna submit for your master thesis. 
so basically basically you're the director of whatever is the outcome in the end that you want to present so the only one that you can disappoint is yourself because you set the goals and if you don't reach them then it's your fault i see um <laughs> and and is it the 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 in the education in denmark for free was it the school at least for free or you needed to pay like a tuition also um you need to pay a tuition if you're non-european okay so if you're european then it's free and um if you're a dane then you get like this 800 euro on top every month um per yeah per month basically basically and if you are a european foreigner um or also just international uh, students then you can work 12 hours per week and get this money on top because it's all connected to paying taxes so if you have a job and you you earn enough money in those 12 hours per week then you pay enough taxes to be eligible to get this money as a support for your studies i see so this was the way you did it yes yeah and I'm I'm curious if you if you are allowed to reveal this or uh, disclaim it anyhow, because I've had also um, guests from Zaha Hadid Architects, and they explained me that for example there um, the office is organized into clusters, and there is like a design cluster. I don't know. Then the cluster is subdivided in teams. Then there is like um, I don't know different projects that are in the exec executive phases uh, or yeah construction phases um, and you mentioned this SD and DD which is some how what is like what is the general organization at big are they just teams that works on different projects or are like also like some sort of bigger bigger clusters that are competitions I know also that in Denmark you have um, the specific studies for construction architect, which is different than the what is common designer architect. So, if you can say a little bit more about how it's how it, the whole environment looks like. Um, so, for instance, if I start a project that is uh, whatever a competition or even commission, uh, we get we get a team, but the team is never the same. So it's a little bit more specific to whatever the task is and what maybe somebody already worked on before in another competition. If it's, for instance, uh, you know, a hospital, not everybody did that before. So they tried to get the architects in the office to, to, do, um, to do it that did it before already or have some experience from that field from another office maybe. Um, so that's very specific on what kind of task it is, which language is required, um, because we're building all over the world. So if there's, for instance, a Chinese project, of course, they also would like to have Chinese people um, on it. And then I don't think we have really clusters, but there's um, something that we call Big Leap which is basically L stands for a big landscape. So we have um, we have a uh, landscape architects working um, for the projects and they sitting kind of in their own uh, group uh, but they're helping out with a lot of projects then we have have big e which is big engineering um, and 
we have, uh, of course, the architects, and then we have also some kind of like product design, um, which is also related to big ideas uh, that are doing all the computational stuff in the office, um, all the grasshopper things that people might not know. So they're helping out with that. Um, and I mean, when I start a project and I don't know everything from the beginning because I'm only, you know, a gradu I graduated like two years ago. So I can go around in the office and I have an expert almost for anything that I have a question about. So if, if, if I need an engineer, I can just go there and have a meeting. They are not external, you know, they just, uh, they're just sitting with us. So that's quite nice uh, that we have like so much expertise in the office. It's basically like a beehive that is always being mixed up and, and different experts are brought together for one project. Uh, and it's, it's more project specific uh, than really built into clusters, you can say. So everyone could do anything if they have experience or uh, goodwill or the partners think that you can do that, then, then that, that team will be assembled. And uh, in such an environment, you said the, basically the, the language in the office which is spoken, it's mainly English, um, I guess. Have you managed to learn Danish in the meanwhile or it's a very hard task? I guess that maybe for German native, it's a little easier. Yeah, I think it's easier to learn Danish if you're German. I can, I can speak a few things, but I'm definitely not like fluent or I can understand sometimes... Uh, I mean, it's close to German, but then again, you, you think you hear something and they're just way too fast or they swallow half of the word and then uh, you maybe misunderstand. So the main uh, language stays kind of English almost in the office. Um, but I mean, I'm working almost only on Scandinavian right now on Danish projects. Um, and I'm learning more and more Danish just because I'm forced to, because meetings all of a sudden Sometimes they just switch to Danish or um, emails are in Danish. Uh, my, my, my partner in charge stands next to me and all of a sudden forgets that I don't speak Danish. And, and so I'm learning the hard way now. <laughs> um, but I mean, they also offer courses and stuff. I just never had the time to take any uh, of them. So I hope maybe in the future I can. <laughs> I, I can tell you that for me it was the same with German and now I can read for example, construction documents or laws about construction. But if you give me a regular newspaper, I don't know what is written <laughs> inside of it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the same for me. Um, and um, so you you managed to finish the, the school two, two years ago. And you said that the only person that you can disappoint is yourself. Did you disappoint yourself or were you happy with yourself? And <laughs> how, how did that go and what was your... I don't know, final project. Um, I think actually in the beginning, I was kind of disappointed, even though it went super well. I cannot complain about anything. Uh, just that I think I just wanted to do too much. So the program that I was writing um, based on what my results should be in the end was just way too broad i wanted to do everything uh and in the end also managed but i was completely 
wiped out. I just didn't want, I, even at that point, I just didn't want to do architecture anymore. I thought like, no, I'm done. Like, this is it. Like, I'm not doing over hours anymore. I'm not working. I'm, I'm, I'm doing only things with my hands now because I did so much computation and I was constantly just on my computer that uh, I thought like, no, I'm, I'm, all, I'm becoming a bricklayer now. This is it. Uh, and then I took took a break, uh, and and while having this break, and while more time was passing, I I more and more like my my project again. So uh, it was it was a hate love in in the end, and I wanted to forget, <laughs> but now I actually like it a lot because it was um, bringing all the things that I learned in school together. Um, because in in Sita you're. Uh, yeah, more likely to do maybe components or, or material testing because doing computation is sometimes like not difficult, but like time consuming also, or building those scripts that you easily stay in a smaller scale and you don't go into architecture scale, building scale. So basically I went um, all those two years um, through a lot of studies about textiles from going um, like hacking a knitting machine and, and, and weaving my own fabrics to in the end proposing an architecture scale um, project that was about textiles and, and, and uh, calculating the wind and how it's affected by it. And um, yeah, it's, it was, it's still a hate love, but I think I actually like it. <laughs> How how good and at math are you? And that's the general question always. Uh, good at math. Uh, how good are you? I think I'm pretty good, actually. <laughs> that's that's the first honest person we have in this podcast that uh, has a computational design skills and doesn't say, oh, "I don't even know maths." <laughs> no, no, I think I have uh, a good understanding also in and. But I think you can do computation without knowing all of it. But I think if it comes into like structural engineering, which, which was a lot of this um, yeah, textile design that I did, uh, then you need to know a little bit at least. <laughs> yes, I think it's, uh, it's, I think it's also interesting uh, how you uh, went from, I don't know, wanting, wanting to be a singer uh, or some sort of um, <laughs> yeah painter, and then you tell your parents, oh, now I'm doing, uh, I don't know, structural engineering, and uh, <laughs> I'm calculating structures. <laughs> yeah, but not, not at the level where like structural engineers would work. But I mean, for that level, it was, it was enough, and I understood it. So I'm not, I'm not comparing myself to a structural engineer. I would never do that. So nobody should be insulted right now. <laughs> no, it's... I, it's okay I get it because for example when I studied in Rome we needed to do the calculation of some structures because in Rome the school tends to teach you a little bit of everything and I remember that um, I studied in an artistic high school so my math base was not so strong and solid as uh, other students so I remember I could learn to solve the exercises and calculate the structures but if you wanted to get the best grade, you needed to go to like an exam where you actually explain all the the theorems and stuff that you used. And I, but that was optional. Like if you do that, you get a get a better grade. And if you don't do it, your grade is just 
uh, downgraded to whatever it's the mi- minimum uh, never participated i was like i don't want to explain <laughs> stuff i can do it it's fine <laughs> so so that i i always thought like you don't want to you don't want me to hear to hear me like explaining math i'll probably fail the exam <laughs> even if it's not possible um and so you you finished and then you went back to full power big directly uh no i actually took some months off like three or four and um i had some good connection to one of the partners at big that i also worked with uh on something on the side because he was producing a tv show in in uh, denmark uh, i don't know how you would call that it's a little bit like pimp my house maybe so like the normal people come around and they want to have like a um yeah new extension for the building or uh, um, they bought a lighthouse and they want to have it refurbished um, then one of those partners comes along and and is designing for them so i was working with him on this tv show um so we had like yeah good connections together through my school year and um, then in the end he would wanted me as his sidekick at big so he wanted to hire me and I said like, ah, no, I'm actually really not sure that I want to go back. I'm, I'm kind of done with architecture, <laughs> like being uh, 29 and, uh, you know, retiring. <laughs> and uh, he was very, very persistent. So uh, he tried several times through those months to to um, hire me and and to be honest i was kind of fine with being a little bit at home being a little bit in denmark and getting a kessen which is uh, some kind of like government money that you get when you study but you don't get a job um so it was fine i was stable i earned money even though i was not working so uh, i i enjoyed my laziness for a bit the first time and he was just proposing different uh, different projects to me and I was just like nah I don't want to so it was pretty diva for some time and then I thought like the fourth time that he comes to me probably he will not propose anything anymore after this so maybe I should get you know one of those offers Uh, and then he proposed uh, building a a factory in the forest in Norway and then I was kind of hooked because I thought like oh my god we're doing a sustainable project at big I mean we do a a lot of hedonistic sustainability of course but like real certified sustainability projects. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're difficult and maybe also still rare in a lot of companies. And I thought like, yes, this is what I want to do. I want to I wanna change the world. I'm coming back and I'm going to do this project. And uh, here I am now. <laughs> yeah, so they got me with this one. And um, I'm here, I'm still at big and I'm still enjoying it because um, now I do a lot of Scandinavian projects that are maybe a little bit more small and they get a little bit more time because not all of them are competitions. So, um, yeah, this is uh, how I got back in, I would say. <laughs> you, it sounds like the story of uh, retired Adven- Avengers, you know, like uh, they're <laughs> trying to convince Tony Stark to go back in the team. And yes. uh, <laughs> you f- managed to, 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 to get back. You were like, OK, only for this time. Um, only this time but they always get you (laughs) only this time well this is how you get uh, people with persistency uh, asking the same question four times and I I mean they are partners for a reason yes 
but <laughs> I mean, they probably have seen some, like not probably for sure, they have seen some quality in you, which, um, which it's very valuable for 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 the for the company and your skills and. Uh, you sound. Uh, I like that a lot of people sound so easygoing. But uh, I mean, when you think it's like, I mean, how many other companies are in the world that are on the same level? I I don't think there are so many. There are like maybe ten maximum. So it's. Um, I think it's remarkable. And so you you went for this role um, as a team leader, as I understood, or design leader for this factory. Um, so how did your um, daily work start looking like? Uh, what was, what were the challenges? What was different? What were you scared um, of the of the of the task a little bit at some point? I actually was uh, surprisingly I was was not scared at all. I was a lot of times scared about all my architecture projects uh, at school, but maybe the last one hit me so hard that I thought like, I don't, <laughs> I don't care so much anymore. But it was more like, what do I have to lose? I'm a starting architect. I'm, I'm I, I just came out of school. I get, uh, you know, the, the salary, the minimum salary um, that you get when you just, you know, have, have no experience as an architect just kind of settled at a at a at a at a certain level anyways in Denmark it's not like you can negotiate the level it's basically a base salary that you get anyways so I was like yeah they, what would they do they would kick me out and I would get go back to ACAS and so I thought like kind of I have nothing to lose and it's the first time I can prove myself and I also was very lucky uh, in that sense that I had like um uh, a small team, um, two South American girls with me. Uh, that was uh, really cool. Like you know, just to work in that team, have a lot of fun and and enjoy actually designing something. For also a very nice client because it's uh, it's a Norwegian client that is so into sustainability and and making a difference with what he wants to build or um, what he also wants to sell because he's he's a, a furniture manufacturer. And um, he's doing sustainable outdoor furniture, uh, and this this family company already exists since uh, the 1950s. Um, so he's he's taking over this legacy and turning it into like a super sustainable business, and 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 taking the factory also to show that you can um build up a business uh, in a high cost country like norway without uh, exporting some work to low cost countries uh, you can you can manage to actually do so and make profit um and it was just so nice working with him he's just three years older than me we we got uh, we we became friends quite quickly uh, he helped me in the whole process of actually becoming a design leader because he was doing all the communication with me together. I was sending him updates every week, like we also send to Bjarke every week. So he got the information right away. Um, yeah, it was just uh, very smooth as a as a starting project. It was it was small enough to learn. The team was great. The client was great. The intention was great, and now it's getting built. I cannot ask for more, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's also the project that recently has been uh, shared a lot uh, around the social media of the big uh, <laughs> company because I think with uh, wooden constructions, it gets quite fast as it everything is 
pre- yes. prepared for the for the construction prefabricated um so and uh, what what size was what size was or still is the team you were leading and um i'm also curious like if you get to i don't know learn or adapt to some things while leading people because i guess that um, maybe that's a little bit of a different factor at some point when you have people that you have to be in charge of um the team sizes i mean the team size was changing over time in each phase because at some point uh, when we ended the design phase uh, we got then construction architects on this on the team um that would take care of a lot of the the drawing set and making it buildable and 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 checking um, um, all the details so uh, I was not in charge alone anymore. You can say it like this because you get an experienced construction architect on your side. I'm still the design lead, but I have more expertise all of a sudden in the team. So I'm learning a lot from each end that is joining the team because being a design lead doesn't mean that you lead all the other uh, decision making. So you still have a partner in charge. You have, you have still Bjarke, uh, um, that is looking over it and and then you have a team um, that is mainly older than me uh, like the construction architects that also build a lot of things already so I'm learning every time in every new project a little bit more about uh, how those processes work and how how we're moving on uh, from SD to DD to uh, construction drawings because it's not very often in in a company like big that you stay with a project until the end. Usually if you're a young architect, you are looping through competitions maybe. So you get a lot of experience in competitions, but you don't get so much experience about building site or how to deal um, yeah, with, with clients or um, consultants, for instance. So I'm, I'm very lucky that I could go through all those differences and how the team was growing and then shrinking again. And now um, it's only a few people that are just watching the construction site. Um, and then you also learn that um, people are joining the team that that uh, don't know so much about the process. You know, you get uh, new um, freshly baked students or... Uh, uh, interns that you need to teach so what I probably have to learn most still in the process is to involve them and teach them and also give them a good time um, to be on the team and be passionate about what they're doing I try to involve them as much as possible in every meeting and you know take them with me everywhere but uh, I think this is something that we forget that all of a sudden we know things and then we cannot accept that other people don't know um so i try to be uh, a little bit more sensitive about that fact that that i need to also that i have a responsibility for the people coming in just staying six months or one year or like me back then even two years but they want to have their experience and they want to learn too and as a team leader i'm kind of responsible for that as well yeah at some points you have to a little bit detach and think back on the time where you were starting and that there were people that were being um comprehensive and kind and 
like accepting your stupid mistakes and then yes definitely <laughs> because sometimes i i have the same experience uh like i've been working uh, i'm graduated also like you in 2019 but i've been working uh, full-time already a year before or something like that and um then i notice sometimes that uh, i look a little impatient with someone that's um you know younger or uh, not even younger but maybe less experienced and uh i then when i notice that i'm a little impatient i just calm like stop and take my time to 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 share my knowledge at my best so that these people because also when you teach them then they actually become more independent and then the next time they will be able to solve the tasks on their own and yes. and that's very important to to give them task and trust and uh, and even if they fail it it happens so uh, i think it's it's normal and um how what is the the role of uh, bjork in in the project you've worked on or in any project is he more or less like the um, creative director that gives like suggestions and uh, guides the direction or is he the front man or and yeah what was the work with him and what is his role he's our leader and we worship him all <laughs> no, i'm kidding um he's basically he gets from every team every design team um he gets updates every week so he's always uh fed with information about each project and then he gives comments to it and then we also have charrettes which are basically uh, presentations where all the partners are in a room and Bjarke as well and you present the project and it states where it is uh, and then it's basically like a big discussion round where everybody gives their ideas and um, if we took a direction um, already for a design, then they kind of approve or, um, yeah, they give a lot of ideas in those in those presentations. Um, and then basically right now during Corona time, he was a lot in Copenhagen actually, because he's also always traveling around to every office because we have one in London and Barcelona and New York. So usually he was a lot in New York um, and traveling around, but due to Corona, he came back to Copenhagen, to his home country, uh, Denmark. And then um, he was around a lot in the office. So you saw him more in person and you were sitting down with him, discussing stuff, sketching. And I mean, it's just very friendly. It's just uh, when you see him, he has always great ideas and he has... Um, He's not maybe into all the details always, but he, he keeps the big vision that a project uh, started from the beginning. And if you try to, if you start to drift away from, from this vision because of, you know, construction costs uh, and, and, and cost cutting and the team uh, is changing, then, then he's basically the one that brings you back to your original vision, I would say. Yes. Yeah, I think it's also somehow you have to have such a person in the office to to keep um, sort of the line or the 
quality if you want to call it that way um although like i don't think that i mean somehow you can recognize a bjork Ingels project in the spirit but not really in the looking like it's not like for instance i don't know zaha hadith project or norman foster project where you pretty much know what to expect it's sometimes unexpected different unexpectedly different uh <laughs> but uh there is this sort of you maybe as a user you don't even recognize it but as another architect that observes buildings you can see oh yeah that i can see that that could be um a project uh, from from the office and um um i was uh, wondering like um do you have sort of a you explained that in denmark there is like a regulation about the salary you can get um mm-hmm. how does that work like after how many years you get like to do you get licensed arch- like, like are you a licensed architect right after you have graduated or how does this then standards are growing and you're more valued so to say even economically um when you graduate in denmark from an architecture school you're right away a licensed architect you just have to basically sign into um the architects uh association in denmark and you pay basically like a monthly fee to be in inside of it and then you get also you know courses and everything basically a little bit like the german one i think as well um the difference is that you don't need to prove that you have those two years experience and a lot of courses collected you're basically a yeah full-grown architect right away and that also means that you have a yeah base salary that nobody can say that you actually earn less than this uh which is nice because i think also in germany uh, some offices just pay you less some a little bit more and they kind of can you know set the price uh on their own even though we have we have uh, also something like uh, the chamber of architects that should protect us from those kind of uh, weird de- defaults um and when you have your base salary then you can still negotiate so you can say like you have more experience and and um you can talk about it if if the salary is enough for you and then each year in march or april after the tax year kind of ends you have the negotiation to change your contract and how much you earn so in that time frame you basically yeah go into a meeting say this is the responsibility that i took over it's more than actually i expected or uh, you know we just you just talk about what's your experience and if you're very good they say yes if you're not so good then they say no mostly they say no but uh you can always negotiate and then after i think every five years or every three years anyways by this association of architects they they need to adapt their salary to uh, i don't know five thousand kronas more um yeah every five years i think so but usually you can negotiate more already before that I, time i understand yeah. well i think in germany it's uh there is a range but it's very similar among offices because um 
at least in Frankfurt, where I live and work, uh, the market regulates itself. Because if some studio is paying way less than the others, then just people go away and they move to another office. Um, so I it's see. so it's uh, it's very like um, it depends really on some some offices maybe have this politic to say okay we're gonna just switch more often people that work here and uh, doesn't matter the cost of educating those people within the system or yeah so i mean i don't think it's it's that bad it's um it's funny because i come from italy and bulgaria which uh, it's way <laughs> worse so for me here was a, a pretty big improvement and then after i was settled into the system then i i started having also my own you know requirements and, and standards as, as it is uh, fair to be um and uh how long are you um still on this uh this uh, project I, I think it's pretty fast fast paced isn't it gonna <laughs> be finished soon yeah it's gonna be finished in december so they're pretty fast um it's now halfway through construction i think in in beginning of july we have all four wings and the roundabout in the middle done for this kind of plus shape building and uh, yeah and then it's it's basically only a few months left and then it's uh, it's finished and then probably in the beginning of next year maybe spring next year we will have an open uh do you go often to the construction place because you said it's in norway so i guess it involves traveling how does that work we we were not able to travel to Norway since October. Oh, because of the So we didn't see it. For us it's still fiction. Ah, okay. The, maybe you have some <laughs> uh, webcam on the construction place or something. Yes, like. yes, we have like a 24-hour web webcam where we see everything and the and they always send us pictures and the client is going through that with a camera. Everything is being documented to the to the maximum so we don't miss out but it's just different if you could be there and i hope they're opening up in july because right now they're just still closing down for everyone that is not norwegian oh yeah because norway it's not even eu they're like uh their own uh they're yes. on their own they're like we do whatever we want <laughs> yes and um, do you still have like because um, you are okay you, you still have other people on top of like you in the chain of command but do you still manage to be a lot of um, the time head hands on on the project like actually drawing and designing and planning or due to your more leaders role you need to be uh, more on as you said emails and organization and things like that no because there's a difference between uh, a project leader uh, or a design lead and and a project manager so usually in a team you have also project manager that is taking more care of all the um like emails and and correspondence so um I'm I'm more hands-on, so I'm still drawing a lot, and I'm also I'm not only involved in in this uh, Vestra project. I'm also right now in the meantime I also did three other projects at the same time. So I'm only like right now maybe 
20% on the project, only uh, over, overviewing things and drawing things uh, have to be decided that are design related. Um, so yeah, it's it's basically that I moved also on to other projects that need to get built soon. <laughs> and um, in the in the past, when you started, are there any other project you have uh, work on that uh, maybe uh, have been already built and uh, you can mention them? Um, I mean, you're sitting in Frankfurt, so you probably know the tower from Big in Frankfurt. Yes, yes, I actually yes. Uh, met met Bjorke once here and by accident in the city center because I was passing by and um, he came for the celebration of the foundation of the building and mm -hmm. um, I met him and um, I, An Andreas Clark Patterson, which is also yes. one of the partners. Uh, so I, I met him like for really on the street for 10 seconds. I was like, what? You're Bjork Ingels here? And I said, ah, yeah. And uh, he was very <laughs> friendly, actually. And um, yeah, so I've been also in the tower because uh, there's been um, an, an event here in Germany. There was like um, this company, Jung, make called like Jung Lectures. And um, they did a um, like walked through the building and there I met um, Kai Uwe Bergman was here mm. also he gave a lecture and they've been here also for the price from the high rise for the high rise via 57 in New York so there was a period of time which where they were they were very often here in Frankfurt so um, I, through the events when the events were live like in person um, yeah i got to meet them so you have been working on on this tower yeah on i mean on the facade like i, I was working for some time but I, that was when i was still an intern so it's a long time ago but i was involved in this one i i have a take take off on that project because they said like Bjork king girls group make these crazy projects but they needed to do a project for germany so they just needed to take a box and shake it a little bit in the middle yes <laughs> so we, we did it very subtle you know so the germans would not be shaken to their core yes so it was like yeah they, that was the best they could get a little shaken box <laughs> uh, no but it looks it looks nice and um it gives you interesting uh perspectives uh, when you walk around the cities because um when you come from the other side of the river and you see this shake it tower it's really funny it really looks like the tower is trying to move away from the street uh so it's and now we can enjoy it because of in front of this tower they're gonna build four more towers from un studio and uh mm. until then we have the whole view on the on the tower of big so it's uh it's nice nice uh have you ever been yourself to visit it here no actually not I haven't been to Frankfurt ever since. So I only was sitting on renderings and the facade and everything, but I never visited. But maybe next time I'm in Germany, I'm, I'm going to go. <laughs> You're invited then in person to, to, to come meet for a coffee or something, hopefully soon. So that yeah, hopefully uh, we can get a tour or something. <laughs> and did, yes, and did you did you manage to see any other of your projects built, and were there any others which were completed already and you've seen live? 
Mm, actually, no. It, the the factory will be my first one. I was also involved in a in a in a project, uh, another tower uh, in Singapore, which is getting built right now. But I also haven't been there, so I mean Frankfurt would be a little bit more easy. Um, but otherwise, I I haven't seen anything built. So this factory will be uh, my first baby. <laughs> first architectural <laughs> architectural baby, <laughs> at least. Yes. Um, and, uh, so you, you, you said you, f you find uh, Denmark to be a quite nice place where you would actually stay for longer, uh, and you have no plans so far to come back to live maybe in Germany or, <laughs> uh, no plans yet. I also have to always disappoint my family, uh, that I probably won't come back. But you never know. I, I'm 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 not settled down or anything. I'm I'm still I'm still open uh, to go anywhere. But for now, I mean, I, I have great projects that I'm working on and very nice opportunities. If that's stopping at some point, then it's time for me to move on. I um I think it's um it's a, a very nice to to talk to you because you're very positive, very like, I don't know, uh, easy going on complex <laughs> things, which I guess it's the, <laughs> the main, um, the main. That's why they hired me. What do yeah. you think? Yes. They were like, we're going to give her hard tasks. She's clueless. <laughs> She's going to manage. Uh, so yeah. So I think, I think, I don't know. I think we have covered most of the topics. I, I want to remark again that, uh, you really uh kick ass <laughs> thanks it's it's <laughs> nice to talk to people like you to um i don't know discover who is behind these great projects and great uh, teams and that uh, you know if anyone else want to try it if there is a will there is a way so um i want to thank you one more time for being on the show and taking your time even on the weekend to to chat and um, yeah and it's sunny outside you should be grateful yes and here, it's, <laughs> here it's cloudy so i'm fine i'm like it's you bad uh last but not least where can people find a little bit more about you online mm, probably on instagram or linkedin uh, basically i'm always open for uh, personal messages that's no problem you can always reach me under my name if you see my name in this podcast and you google it you will find me <laughs> we will add uh, all the links in the description so that people can click and directly follow you or contact you for any further questions or curiosities they might have and um, thank you one more time and uh, I wish you a great rest of the sunny day in Copenhagen Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The whole world stops just like that. Hey, friends. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. You've been amazing. Before we go, I just want to remind you that if you want to support us, you can just go on the creativeinsider.com where uh, you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter or you can follow us on our social media channels, which are Instagram at TCI Podcast or 
the LinkedIn page, the Creative Insider. Uh, by doing this, you will have a bigger social media presence, which always looks attractive to more and more important guests. And so this is very fundamental. And if you really love what we do and you want to help us doing a better production, just click on the Patreon link below where you can support us with the wished amount of money you think it's okay for you. Uh, it's a monthly subscription, but you can cancel anytime. So thank you very much and have a good week, guys. Bye-bye.